My bad. So my name is Luke. I get to serve as the pastor here. Um, it feels like it's been a long time since I've seen you, but we had some snow days and some visitors and that kind of thing. Uh, just a few announcements, and then we're going to dive in and have some uh, uh, some worship. Um, on March 29, we're planning to do uh, another baptism and some membership. Uh, if you are interested in becoming a member, if you are interested in getting baptized, uh, then come talk to me, and we'd love to uh, to make that happen. Um, there's a few other uh, announcements in your uh, in your bulletin. I'll, I'll let you read through those. Um, uh, I would also point your attention in the back. There is a display case or a, a display. Uh, one of the missionary couples that we support is Kenton and Kedron Miller. Well, Heidi Schmidt, who was a missionary that we support and is now moving back, is actually headed out to Europe. And so, since she was, you know, in the area. Um, she's going to swing by Berlin and say hello to, to Kenton and Kedron and get to know them. And so the primetime kids have been putting together a suitcase uh, full of gifts for Kenton and Kedron Miller. And they've been having a great time praying for them, learning about them, and putting together this, this suitcase full of gifts. And so that's just kind of an FYI of some of the neat stuff that, that they've been doing uh, to, to send that out. And I guess if you would like to include a, a card or something like that, that would be great, but you will have to move fast. I think Heidi leaves Wednesday or Thursday, um, so better be, better be pretty quick on it. One other announcement. I'm going to pass this around again. Um, I'll start on this side. Uh, one of the things that, that happens is that um, the church has a, a program called Call Em All, and that is our, one of the ways that we use to get a hold of you in case something dramatic happens like, Oh, we cancel church. And uh, so the call mall simply has um, a list of phone numbers. We pre-record a message, and then it calls all those numbers at once, and, uh, and it plays the, the pre-recorded message. So see if your name is on there. Um, if it is, double-check that the phone number by it is correct. If your name is not on that list and you would like to receive those phone messages, uh, then just write down your name and your phone number. Uh, it's, it's no charge to you. This is uh, something that we're glad to do. And um, then that way you'll just kind of get the latest updates on when we cancel or do other drastic things or uh, something like that. So let me pray, and uh, we'll continue on with the service. Heavenly Father, thank you for just another good day. And God, um, you love us greatly, and that is something that we will always uh, struggle to comprehend, just how much you love us, how much you cherish us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that it is true and good and beautiful. We thank you that you invite us to so boldly enter into your presence uh, with worship and praise and singing. Um, God, that is remarkable. And there are many gods of this earth who do not uh, do not do that. But you as the one true God welcome us in. And so we thank you for that. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Uh, and we are incredibly grateful to, to who you are and what you have done for us. Amen. Please stand as we sing about who the heart of worship truly is about.
Father, you are with us every day and every day. Holy Spirit, help us to be an example for Christ with every person that we encounter. Thank you for sending your son to shed his blood so that we may have eternal life with you. May you always be our focus as we rise in the morning to when we go to sleep each night. Father, we love you. In your most precious name.
Well, at this point in the service, we like to take a little bit of time to have a prayer time. Um, As always, there are some prayer requests on the screen from the missionaries. We have uh, two different missionaries that we love and support and learn from, and so a few things to to pray for there. Uh, One of the biggest reasons, though, we have this time is just to give you an opportunity to to do a little bit of business with God. Um, Sometimes our our hearts are full, and and there's just... Praise and rejoicing, and when we sing, we just, you know, use both barrels and empty out our lungs, and it's good. Uh, And there are other times where uh, you just need to let someone sing over you, um, or just meditate on words, or just come before God and say, uh, help, end of sentence. And uh, so we just want to have a, create a little bit of space uh, for that to, to let you do some business with God, so... Uh, We'll have a few moments of silence, and then I'll close us off with some prayer time. Lord, we invite you here this morning to do with us as you will. Uh, We are your people. This is your church. Um, You get to call the shots around here. You are in charge. Lord, uh, we say start with me. We say start with me. Whatever your agenda is this morning. Pray that by your spirit that we would understand your scripture, be enlightened by your scripture, uh, learn from it, learn how to share it with others. Lord, you are good, you are gracious, you are forgiving, you are faithful, um, you are loving, you are tenacious, you are a provider, um, and we are so very thankful. We love you, Lord. Amen. Ushers.
just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power is. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone, never once did you leave us on our own, you are faithful, God, you are faithful, healing on this you've done, knowing every victory was your power is. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say. Never Thank you, worship team. That was fantastic. Well, it is good to be back with you. Uh, I missed last week. Um, I heard Wes was good. Hope he was good. Presume he was. I uh, was very appreciative that he was able to, to come and share. Uh, this last week, Joanne and I were at a um, biblical training counseling conference in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, and we had, it was good. Um, there, we had 37 one-hour lectures, 
in the course of a week. So by the end, our heads were just like, just mush. Um, these are just a couple pictures uh, of the conference. Um, I'll just kind of let Lola scroll through them. I do want to point out this picture, uh, some good friends of ours, Nate and Stacy, um, who were the ones who, who kind of initiated this and called us up and said, uh, this is really good. You guys need to get out here. And uh, so we did. So it was great to connect with them. Uh, this conference, there were about uh, 2,000 attendees, um, small group leaders, pastors, kind of a, a whole mix. Uh, and there were seven different tracks that you could do. We were in track one. We were on the kind of basic intro uh, foundations of biblical counseling track. And uh, yeah, like I said, it was just, it was a lot of information. Fantastic speakers. I think every speaker was a PhD or a medical doctor. And um, they might have had a few like master's people sort of like sneak in, you know. But uh, yeah, for the most part, it was, it was an amazing crew. And uh, the conference was put on by a church called Faith Church. I think they have some, some Baptist connections. And um, they have an amazing counseling ministry. Um, this conference has been going on for 31 years. And uh, they've been doing biblical counseling for uh, even longer than that. And some of their staff uh, have been there that long. And um, every Monday, they do free counseling uh, for the community. They have about 25 people, mixed of staff, volunteers, pastors, medical doctors, small group leaders, that kind of thing. They have 25 people who counsel every Monday. And um, this is just for the community. Um, the counseling that happens with church members is a different time of the week. Um, but every Monday, it's just this. They have never advertised. It is only by word of mouth. They have a waiting list of 60 families. 60 people non-churched families are in are lining up to get biblical counseling um, at this church and so it is just it is remarkable and this is not kind of though you know we do the light stuff and then we contract out the hard stuff uh, I mean they specialize in the hard cases for a lot of people this is kind of the end of the line they they handle it um, all they were saying that last year they had 240 new members a hundred of those were by baptism, and most of those became Christians through their counseling ministry. For them, their counseling ministry is their predominant form of evangelism. Um, and it's not, uh, you know, I mean, you probably saw some of the pictures. Um, yeah, this is just one of the guys, Big B, who may be one of the best preachers I've ever heard. Um, and that was a big statement. Um, you know, I mean, their sanctuary holds like 1,000, 1,200. Like, this isn't a mega church feel. Um, but they just got a lot of stuff going on. They have a small little seminary, a Christian school, counseling, some residential stuff for drug and rehab. They're building uh, some facilities for, for uh, elderly, who, who kind of low-income elderly. So it's pretty amazing. Some of the topics that we had, uh, what makes biblical counseling biblical, organizing data, understanding the heart, doctrine of progressive sanctification, God's basic truths concerning marriage, video case observation, uh, one lecture on husband's role, one lecture on wife's role. I actually skipped the wife's role, so I still have no idea what that is. Um, helping those suffering with depression, counseling people with medical illness, communication, biblical parenting, overcoming sinful worry and fear, guilt and repentance, how to, anger, how to handle anger biblically. Um, one of, this, is, this was my binder. 
everyone got a binder like this, and these are all fill-in-the-blank notes. So someone's like, oh, so you remembered everything? No, no, I don't. I just have like 500 pages of notes. Uh, one of the things that they gave us that kind of made me laugh was 28 pages just of books, you know, because I have time to read 28 pages of books. Uh, but anyways, some of the things that I took away just at a very basic level, one I had, I really appreciated just their deep respect and appreciation for scripture and its fullness and that it is the word of God and that it is true and that it is complete and that it is uh, sufficient. Uh, I was amazed at how closely they linked counseling and discipleship. Um, I have a lot of history in discipleship, not a lot in counseling. But for them, they just, they, they really connect the two. Uh, they see counseling as a space of healing and restoration within the broader track of discipleship. Um, so imagine you're running a marathon, and along the way they have first aid stations. Uh, those first aid stations are counseling within the longer track of discipleship. Uh, within counseling at its core, um, they were saying, you know, we're all either sinning or suffering. And sometimes we're suffering because of the sin. Sometimes we're sinning because of the suffering. Uh, and scripture addresses all of those. Um, and wherever possible, I found this interesting, they use biblical terms to describe biblical situations. Uh, they do not say you had an affair. They say you committed an adultery. Um, if you, to say affair kind of makes it sound light and airy and no big deal. But scripture calls it adultery, so we're going to call it adultery. Um, that to be a good counselor, first you have to be a good counselee. Um, and their emphasis to just show a lot of compassion and give a lot of hope. Uh, so for Joanne and I, a uh, lot of information, still trying to s figure out how to apply all this. You know, after a one-week intro session, would I call myself a counselor? No. Um, am I prepared to, to start up? You know, free counseling for the community. Uh, no. Um, but do I feel a little bit more equipped to just offer some basic first aid, uh, you know, along a path of discipleship? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We can. That's doable. And I'm thankful. One of the things they stressed, according to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, I, as your pastor, a day will come when I am to give an account for all of you. I'm intimidated. Uh, please make my job easier. Uh, but according to Scripture, that day comes where I have to give an account for all of you. So let's play nice, people, all right? Um, yeah. So anyways, it's good to be back with you. Uh, excited to, uh, to study some more Scripture with you today. Um, you know, Scripture is true, and it is good, and it is wonderful. Um, it is also not the fourth member of the Trinity. Uh, scripture points us to God, and that's why it is valuable, and that is why we, we study Scripture. One other thing that uh, I just want to mention but, but don't want to go uh, over, we just not this morning, I uh, um, wrote about it a little bit in the last newsletter article, um, but really some interesting stuff on the value of Scripture and, and intentionally engaging in Scripture on a regular basis. Uh, there was an organization, they did a lot of polls, research studies, that kind of thing. What was startling is that they found that people who engage with Scripture on a regular basis, we're talking four times or more a week, 
lead radically different lives than those who don't engage in Scripture, saved or unsaved. Um, And in fact, in some categories, people who engage with Scripture three times or less a week, in some categories, those people lead lives no different than a non-believer. And so the importance of engaging in Scripture on a regular basis and just uh, letting Scripture reprogram our heart and our mind and our thinking. And uh, it just it has the power to change lives. I would also point out at this point in time, um, in the back, actually all over the church, we do have free Bibles and free life journals. We're a church. This is what we do. Uh, take some. Uh, we'll get more if you need a Bible Take one. If you have a friend who needs one, take one. Take two. Um, There's lots of good devotional material back there. The Life Journal is my favorite. There's a reading plan in here that will take you through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. And, um, you know, there's something for every day. And so we just, just keep plugging away. So, today we are on week four of the Feast of Weeks. Now, we are doing uh, kind of a seven part series looking at the seven feasts of the Lord. Uh, the seven feasts of the Lord were given to, uh, to Israel. They're kind of succinctly summarized in, I believe it's Leviticus 23, referenced through all, all throughout Scripture. Uh, the fascinating thing about these seven feasts and why we're studying them is that each feast has three components. Each feast represents a historic event that happened in Scripture. However, each feast also foretells a significant event that Christ will do. And actually, these seven feasts summarize Christ's entire redemptive career from the beginning to the end. Um, And each feast has a a personal spirituality application. Today we are on Feast 4. There were four feasts that occurred in the fall. Um, These four feasts have been fulfilled prophetically by Jesus. Uh, then there are three feasts that happen in this. Um, no, no, got that backwards. Uh, there are four feasts that happen in the springtime, um, and we're going to study the fourth one today. Uh, and then there were three feasts that happen in the fall, and so we're wrapping up the fourth one. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the first four when he came uh, the first time. Jesus is coming again. I hope you knew that. Surprise. Um, that's kind of a big deal. And uh, Jesus is coming again, and then there are three more feasts that give us hints as to what that that looks like. So today we're on uh, Feast 4. And um, uh, this week is Feast of Weeks. Excuse me, I'm still a bit of a cold. It's called Feast of Weeks because it happened seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits. And, uh, you know, last time we we, we talked, you know, Feast Feast of First Fruits is a one-day celebration And that occurs on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's kind of the correlation there. Well, then they were to count off seven weeks plus one day. Okay, so it's called Feast of Weeks, and then they have one day. Um, And uh, and in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks is called Shavuot. Um, My apologies to uh, the authentic Hebrew speakers in the room if I just butchered that word, but that's what we're going to go with today, Shavuot. Um, That's a Hebrew word for it. In the New Testament, it's called Pentecost, because the Greek word for 50 is Pentecost. Now, most of the time we think of Pentecost, we think of the time when the Holy Spirit came down. True. Yep, that happened. We call it Pentecost. But that, that feast, that event, 
didn't start when the Holy Spirit arrived at Pentecost. That was actually a feast that had happened centuries before. But God kind of said, hey, you know, something big is going to happen 50 days later. And uh, so, so even though Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, and Pentecost technically refer to the same thing, uh, we've kind of sort of allocated them differently. Typically, we'll talk about Shavuot as being the Old Testament thing and, and Pentecost as the New Testament thing. Um, one of the other interesting things about Pentecost or Shavuot is that in Scripture, it's not actually tied to a specific date on the calendar like the other feasts are. Rather, how you figured it out, it was just the countdown from Feast of First Fruits. So while others were getting, you know, calendar dates, this one just said, 50 days later, you do this one. Uh, and it was also one of three feasts where they came to Jerusalem to celebrate it. Now, the, this feast historically, we'll, we'll look at the historical part, has undergone a, a little bit of transition. When it started off, it was heavily agricultural, okay? This was a time where they brought in the wheat harvest, um, and, you know, and uh, it was also, they had to be in Jerusalem for it. Um, but it, yeah, it, it underwent some transition. In A.D. 70, the temple was completely destroyed. This is important. You're, we'll find out why it's important in a minute. Um, the, the Jewish people had done a couple uprisings against the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire didn't take to that too kindly, so they kind of wiped them out. Uh, destroyed Jerusalem, forbid Jewish people from entering Jerusalem. And one of the things that happened, whether by accident or intention, I don't think we know, is that the temple burned down completely, gone. Well, the temple had a lot of gold in it. Um, in fact, it was lined with gold. So when that fire happened, all that gold melted, and it ran into the cracks between the stones that made up like the the wall and the structure of the temple. So after the fire, you have all this gold that's run into the cracks of these stones. Well, the Roman soldiers wanted that gold. So they ripped the temple apart block by block to get at the gold that had run in between the cracks. And in doing so, they fulfilled Jesus' prophecy that a day is coming when this temple, not one stone, will remain standing on top of one another. And that's because the Roman soldiers tore it apart to get the gold in between them. So what happened, though, then is for this feast, the Feast of Weeks, and, and a couple other feasts, it, you know, because they were supposed to come to Jerusalem, and they were supposed to do it at the temple. Well, they're not allowed at Jerusalem, and, and there is no temple. So what do you do? How, how do you do the feast? Well, about 70 years later, in A.D. 140, I believe it was, there was a little bit of a transition in the emphasis. And, and the, his, the historical emphasis changed from this is when we bring in the wheat harvest to this is when we celebrate God giving the law or the Torah at Mount Sinai. If you look in, in the Old Testament, uh, you, you may be familiar with this, right? There was a time where Israel, they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, very dramatic, you know, and then they're in, in the wilderness for a little bit and then they show up at Mount Sinai God is on top, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's clouds, it's very intimidating. Uh, Moses goes up the mountain, they get the Ten Commandments, uh, and then meanwhile Israel builds a golden calf, and we have some bad drama going on there with that. Um, if, if you look at kind of the timing of how things happen, uh, it really, it, 
We don't have exact confirmation, but it looks like that that law, what happened in Mount Sinai, was given on the Feast of Weeks, on Shavuot. Um, I mean, it, it, scripture doesn't exactly say on this day this happened, but if you look at the calendar, if, it do, if it's not on that day, then they're just a few days apart. So historically, the Jews shifted their emphasis from celebrating, bringing in wheat harvest and a few other sacrifices to celebrating, this is when God gave us the law, when we got the Ten Commandments. Um, now in the New Testament, the Feast of Weeks is when the Holy Spirit arrives. Um, and we do know that, that it happened um, on this, on this time. Um, it's kind of interesting with, with the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, we hear a lot about God the Father. In the four Gospels, we hear a lot about Jesus. Uh, and then we hear a lot of books on, you know, kind of Christian living and that kind of thing. Really, the book that tells us the most about the Holy Spirit is the book of Acts. And even at that, it's a little bit, like, you kind of see him working around in the background. But you don't get that same kind of follow Jesus around for three years look um, that you do um, otherwise. And so, you know, Pentecost is, is really, we're looking at the Holy Spirit. But it's kind of interesting because we, it almost feels like we don't know as much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so it can feel a little bit more uh, unsteady at times. But we just, that's what we're dealing with. So uh, in, in trying to figure out, you know, there's lots of kind of stuff we could have talked about. But, but there's two main themes that, that seem to arise from this feast. Whether you call it Feast of Weeks, whether you call it Shavuot, whether you call it Pentecost. There's really two main themes that, that want to cover. Um, and one is this comparison between giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and giving of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So that's one thing I want to look at with you. And the second thing that came out quite strong is the strong marriage analogy that occurs with both of them. Um, so looking at the first one, um, just uh, let me just give you a few comparisons between Mount Sinai, Old Testament, giving of the law, New Testament, Pentecost, Holy Spirit arrival. Um, so Old Testament, Mount Sinai is believed to happen 50 days after they were freed from the bondage of Egypt. Uh, New Testament, Holy Spirit arrives 50 days after we're freed from the bondage of sin when Christ rose from the dead. Uh, Mount Sinai, Old Testament, we get the law, we get the commandments of God written on tablets of stone. At Pentecost, we get the Holy Spirit where the commandments of God, according to multiple passages, commandments of God are written on our hearts. At Mount Sinai, we get the letter of the law. At Pentecost, we get the spirit of the law. These are all referencing passages. <coughs> um, Old Testament, the law is correlated with Mount Sinai. Uh, the Holy Spirit, however, in the New Testament is correlated with Mount Zion, according to Romans and Hebrews, 1 Peter. Uh, the Old Testament, Mount Sinai is portrayed as a marriage ceremony. Cover that a little bit more in detail. Pentecost is portrayed as a betrothal contract or an engagement ceremony. We are the bride of Christ, but not yet united with Christ. Um, Old Testament, Shavuot, um, the, the Jews gather in Jerusalem to celebrate and reaffirm their commitment to the covenant. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon Israel to affirm God's commitment to us. 
uh, Shavuot, or, uh, uh, you know, Mount Sinai, marks the time when God entered into a covenant with the Jewish nation. Pentecost marks the time when God entered into a new covenant with his church. Uh, Shavuot is sometimes considered the day when Judaism was born. Some would say that Pentecost is when the church was born. One of the more interesting things is that when the law was given, 3,000 people were killed. When the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people were saved. Uh, in the Old Testament, so Moses comes down from the mountain, right? He's been up on the mountain. He got the law. Um, he comes down. They've made a golden calf. They're worshiping. Moses gets mad, breaks the stone tablet. And then he says this, and this is an odd thing. Uh, he stood at, the, at Exodus 32. He stood at the gate of the camp, and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side and go to and from the gate throughout the camp, uh, each of you killing his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Uh, and they did that, and, and that day 3,000 men fell. And then Moses says this, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Later on in Scripture, Levites were assigned kind of as temple uh, helpers. They, they helped out Aaron. They were considered priests. And it's actually believed that they were chosen for that role because on that day they were zealous for the things of God. Kind of a weird prerequisite for ministry, but okay. Um, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down. A large crowd gathers. Peter stands up. He addresses the crowd to explain the situation. And 3,000 people accept Christ as Savior. Uh, in addition, Scripture does a lot of compare and contrast between life in the law and life in the Spirit. Uh, Romans, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way the Spirit and not in the old way of the written law. Uh, Galatians, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So in the Old Testament, God gives us the law. And in doing so, he shows us the depths of our sin. In the New Testament, God sends the Holy Spirit, which brings life and freedom. And really, life in the law versus life in the Spirit are the major markers for the covenant, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So, Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost. Old Testament, God gives the law. New Testament, God gives the Holy Spirit. Second thing, marriage metaphor. This was also kind of interesting. Uh, second major theme for, for Feast of Weeks. Um, in, in Jewish tradition, Shavuot, or, or this time where, where, the, where they get the law, is actually referred to as the marriage day between God and the Jewish people. In fact, even Jeremiah 2.2 speaks of that time, speaks of Israel as a bride. Um, so, uh, at Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, in the desert, Mount Sinai, the Jewish people figuratively the bride, spend three days getting themselves ready, purifying themselves. They come to the mountain where God is. God is the groom. He is waiting up front at the mountain. The Jewish people, as the bride, enter in. They draw close. God speaks, and in essence, he says, will you accept me? The, the Torah, or the law, representing the marriage contract, it was the covenant between them. It spells out the mutual obligations of God and of Israel. Just in, in Jewish tradition, you have the ketubah, which spells out the obligations between a husband and wife. In Exodus 19.8, Israel accepts God's marriage proposal 
and they answer all that the Lord has spoken we will do. In Jewish tradition, the marriage is sealed under a wedding canopy known as the, the chupa. And in Exodus 19, 17, Moses uses similar words. He, he says that they met God and they stood under the, the nether part of the mountain. And the nether in Hebrew implies that they stood under the mountain. It gives the understanding that the mountain had become the chupa or the wedding canopy. And from my understanding, our wedding ceremony, the traditional wedding ceremony that we use today, is actually drawn out of that moment when Israel and God entered into covenant relationship with each other uh, at Mount Sinai. But, uh, you know, then, of course, Mount Moses walks down the mountain to find the people prostituting themselves to a golden calf, and that's kind of where the, the tradition and the imagery ends because, well, that's just awkward when the, when the when the bride sleeps around with someone else the following day. Uh, New Testament, once again, lots of wedding imagery. Christ is described as the groom. The church, his people, described as the bride. Uh, in Ephesians 5, Paul mixes the imagery of marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, Jesus is still in heaven, we're on earth, um, so the final union has not taken place. Um, but we have this uh, the Holy Spirit as a, as a betrothal contract. Let me read Ephesians 5 here for you, verse 25. Husbands, love is your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Second Corinthians one twenty two. Christ set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So the church, uh, you know, as a bride of Christ, uh, almost in this engagement time, we have a responsibility of faithfulness. Second um, uh, Corinthians 11.2 For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Uh, and Ephesians 5.24 as, as the church submits to Christ. And at the second coming, when the church is united with Christ in the wedding ceremony, Revelation 19.7, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. And then there's a really, really great party. Um, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what are we supposed to do with all this? Uh, Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost. Uh, lots of comparison with um, Old Testament. Giving of the law at Mount Sinai. New Testament. Receiving the Holy Spirit. Lots of wedding imagery going on. Lots of other imagery going on, too. We could have talked a lot about trumpets, but we didn't go down that path. You know. You're welcome, but it's very interesting. Lots of stuff on trumpets. Two, two thoughts. One, live like one engaged. Spiritually, live like one engaged. Secondly, get to know the Holy Spirit. Uh, a day is coming when you and I will be with Jesus in heaven. He has gone to prepare a place for you. He will come again to take you unto himself. 
Until that time, live as one engaged, hopeful, pure, anticipating, exciting, talking about the one you are engaged to. All thinking, all activity is focused on the wedding day, undistracted by other suitors who are clamoring for your love, living with purity, excitement, loyalty to the one we are engaged. Second, get to know the Holy Spirit. You know, I was kind of wondering, we're, we're told so little about the Holy Spirit, um, by contrast. Um, and I have a theory. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. And so to get to know a lot about them, we read a lot about them. But the Holy Spirit is here. He's present. Scripture tells us he dwells within, you know, those who have accepted Christ as Savior. And so the Holy Spirit is, it's an entity that we get to know, that we can engage in, in relationship with him. Um, you know, all of us know people who are just, they're just dialed in with God and who God is and the work of the Holy Spirit. We all know people like that. Folks, they were not born into that. They cultivated a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So get to know uh, the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks, God gave the law. And no one could fulfill it. He wasn't trying to make it difficult. He was just being honest. But it made clear to us our separation from God. And so Jesus did it for us. He fulfilled the law, but at the Feast of Weeks, he gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit of things to come and as a beam for uh, for us to get to know. And so um, getting to know the Holy Spirit and living to one. uh, Yeah, so getting to know the Holy Spirit and as living as one engaged. Feast of Weeks is the fourth week. Um, with this, we wrap up the, the spring feasts. Uh, next time, we're going to start to dabble in prophecy. That's a little bit intimidating, um, but that's where we're going from here. Live as one engaged and get to know the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, Thank you that you live with us, that you dwell with us, um, and that we can get to know you personally. God, you have done amazing things in redeeming your people to you. God, there are many more things that you intend to do, and our hope is to, to learn and study, because as we learn about them, we learn about you. Thank you for another good day. Thank you for Scripture. We love you, Lord. Please rise as we sing the last song forever. stretched arm is love
dismissed.